Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the Camelback Inn in Scottsdale, Arizona, this is Irish Illustrated Insider, our sunniest edition of the year, I think. Uh, Joined by Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley, where a day before the Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame, Ohio State, we spent the past five days in press conferences, watching practice, pouring over quotes, writing stories, doing videos, and now we're finally getting to our podcast. So we're going to do two segments today. First, wrapping up the news of the week and then getting into breaking down the Fiesta Bowl. And obviously, I mean, the biggest story for both teams was the sort of departure of Max Redfield for a violation of team rules sent home, and then the... Injury to Devin Butler, which forces Nick Watkins to make his first career start in the biggest game of the season. And I think the biggest part of that is Redfield, who, while not obvious in his presence, will be conspicuous by his absence, if that makes sense. He doesn't make a lot of plays, but he, he probably negates a few we don't see with his speed. And I mentioned I mentioned a write-up today that Notre Dame, and now without Kavari Russell and Butler, into Nick Watkins, uh, Notre Dame's without their two fastest, best athletes on the back end, and I think that matters. Russell and, and Redfield, I think that'll end up mattering. And, you know, a lot of people say whatever, Russell's not, or Redfield's not there. I, I think the attrition is what matters, that he's not there. It does, and it's nice to be able to have a guy like Matthias Farley who, you know, we know he's not. he probably isn't going to make mental mistakes physically. Yeah. He may not be able to get places, but you feel pretty good about his knowledge of the system back there with – and probably a guy that can really help out Elijah Shoemate in a game yeah. where, um, you know, he may need a little bit of direction too. But it's a it's a blow, and I, I you know I think we're all really interested to see how Nick Watkins plays. I I think we're all surprised that this is the first time he's really been. Not only is it his first start, but it's really his first prominent role in a Notre Dame uniform in two years. Yeah, and I mean the the Redfield Farley dynamic is interesting to me because Nate. Can either of you guys name a play that Max Redfield has made this year in a, in a positive way? I mean, does it, does anything strike you at all? Because I can name a half dozen from Matthias Farley sure, without sure. thinking. And you can name even more last year, Matthias yeah. Farley. You can yeah. name a half dozen from Matthias Farley in one game. Yeah. yeah. So I think that that's – but O'Malley's point about attrition, does it trickle down to special teams? Yeah. That's a real issue to me. Uh, Nick Watkins, I'm fascinated to see him play. It was fun talking to him yesterday and, and also talking to his dad a little bit and his high school coach for feature I'm working on today about – Watkins, just like he he didn't bother to call home, didn't bother to call his coach when he got the news. Uh, his dad found out from me that his son was starting in the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> he decided to come to the game. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's hilarious because he took time off to come to the game, and then uh, Nick's not playing. I'm not going to bother. Um, so he'll be watching a, a home in Dallas. Not he's not going to be able to make the trip out here, but uh, he's just a really understated kid. But athletically, I think he's short of Kavari Russell as impressive just a physical specimen as Notre Dame has so long um and he's got really good speed I I, I think you made a point in one of our instant analysis. if he makes a, a play like Devin Butler made early uh, against Stanford where he broke up that pass I think Nick Watkins could have a really good game and I spoke to Matthias Farley about Watkins and he said one thing is once Nick was told that he was starting you've seen a different Nick yeah. Watkins because he's a good player 
that I mean, I believe is the story you're writing that Nick Watkins isn't a good practice player. Yeah, and that's what his high school coach yeah. said that first to me that he was bad. Like he's a bad <laughs> practice player, but great on Friday nights. Brian Kelly said the same thing, like unprompted, and then Nick Watkins admitted the same. That's not a. I, as a former coach, that, that's you. not a great sign when you when you hear a guy's not a good practice player. However, what I do think is a good sign is the fact that he didn't call home and say, "Hey, I'm starting." That you know that shows some awareness that hey, I'm in this moment. I've got to stay in this moment. It's what I make of this, not the fact that they're actually going to put me in the starting lineup. That's a good sign. Um, tough opponent. <laughs> I mean, really, really difficult opponent to be making your first start against. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State, this this is not the Ohio State team that we saw 10 years ago out here with three first-round picks at wide receiver. Yeah. But Michael Thomas is really good. Yeah. Uh, Jalen Marshall's a load. And Braxton Miller is kind of one of those interesting guys that we, I mean, he's a, a huge issue for Notre Dame to match, but especially yeah. if you don't have any flexibility in your secondary to play nickel at all. So, Which, yeah. <laughs> Lord knows they don't have that flexibility now. Yeah, and as much as we... I mean, we all respect Matthias Farley, but this isn't his best role either, right? No. It's, and and it's and, and it was interesting to talk talking to Brian Kelly about it. He's their best special teams player, and I don't think if Ohio State ends up running seventy five snaps and then there's what twenty snaps of special teams in a game, whatever, you can't play him ninety five snaps. And Brian Kelly mentioned we might need to take him out for a defensive series yeah, instead of taking him off kick or punt coverage because he's so good. You wouldn't think he would say something like that, yeah. but you know. It, Look, it's a it's a, a extreme situation, right. so you have to make some extreme decisions along the way. Yeah. You can sleep Saturday. <laughs> In terms of guys coming back from injury for Notre Dame, it's really three guys we focused a lot of attention on this week: Durham Smythe, Jaron Jones, CJ Prosize. We were talking before recording. I mean, if you rank those three in terms of the yeah. impact you expected on Friday, they would be. Well, in ter- if I rank them in terms of who I think is most physically ready, I would start with Durham Smythe yeah. and then Jaron Jones, and and and. P, you and I agree. CJ Procise would be third. I just, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, you know, you you look at those things in practice, and the portion of the practice that we get to see isn't a, an accurate gauge because they they really weren't they weren't going full tilt. So you, so you don't know. They're just getting warmed up and they're working in that direction. And when they start to go full tilt, that's when they usher us out. So we didn't really see that. But again, I still don't believe it was something we said when we were still in South Bend. If you can't get quality physical practices before you leave for the trip, it's very difficult to get those kind of practices and what you need once you get at the bowl site. Yeah, I think what ProSize gives them would be a bonus. If, if he get, is in on a couple jet sweeps and he can make a few, I'm, I'm putting him on a jet sweep with, with Adams in the backfield like we mm-hmm. talked about for next year. If he could be involved in that even as a decoy, I mean, you, well, it helps you a little bit, but the key, as you mentioned. It's been a long time since CJ ProSize has been a significant positive factor for Notre Dame. Even, yeah, even was, before the injury, he was, he was struggling. Broken down. Out, right? He was broken down yeah. in the upper body. Right. If you take the USC game on, I think the final five games of the year, he finished with about 27 carries for 110 yards. No touchdowns, two lost fumbles. He had a concussion. And an ankle sprain. Uh, he, I mean, and a he, shoulder injury probably yeah. too. Yeah, so I mean, he was really struggling at the end of the year. And if you look at the sort of carry breakdown for Notre Dame in terms of you know what you do expect from Josh Adams and CJ Prosize together, when in games where they've both played, they have not gone over twenty five combined carries. So if you look at that and think, well, Josh Adams gives you seventeen. If you get eight from CJ ProSize, that would be right about on average. Yeah, yeah. Um, one really good one would be great too. Yeah, That's absolutely. The... So I mean, I, I think Josh Adams will start, and I did a feature on him earlier in the week, and I think 
that, I mean, there's a bunch of interesting statistical information about him, but I think the thing that struck me most is if he had met the NCAA minimums for carries to be included in the rushing leaders, which uh, is 10 per game, he would be number two nationally wow, in yards per carry behind only Dalvin Cook. That's amazing. State. Um, so he, I mean, he's had a hell of a year, and I, I think he will. I think he will play well. He, to me, Josh Adams will be Notre Dame's best back on Friday. I agree with that. And and you know, we, when was the last time CJ Procise made a significant positive impact the USC game? I mean, he had 57 yards against against BC, and he was injured. He didn't do anything against Temple. He was Temple. fumbling a lot against yeah, BC. He, yeah, he didn't yeah. do anything against Temple and Pittsburgh again when he had an injury. You know, in the Pittsburgh game. So, I think they're I, You know, I think Josh Adams is really kind of the least of their worries when yeah. you when you look at this matchup. To put a bow on that, kind of, I did ask Procise about his health, and he, in fairness to him, mentioned his own self evaluation was. I am healthier now than I have been since Georgia Tech when I was moving piles. He's, he brought up, he's like, remember when That's I was moving piles earlier oh, in the yeah. year? Yeah. He's like, it's I feel that way now in my upper body. So I, you know, we'll see. Obviously, that's, well, let's hope he's, he's right and we're wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's, it's a win-win for Notre Dame. I think it's what that comes yeah. down to. And sort of last segment one, another round of NFL chatter. I think this is sort of a, uh, every time Notre Dame's in a major bowl, this conversation <laughs> topic comes up. But I, but I do think that the tenor of it with Chip Kelly being fired this week and Brian Kelly's answers, to me, has been a little bit different than it was in Miami. In Miami, it felt awkward and like, I don't really know about this. The way Kelly describes it now, to me, my takeaway is, and I'm not saying he'll stay or go, but I feel like there's much less of a desire to leave than there is to stay. I, I think he's a much more comfortable Notre Dame head coach than he was three years I, ago. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, he he, he said many of the same things Alabama week that he did yeah. this week, but he stammered less this time. Yeah. <laughs> delivery there's was a, better. Yeah, there's a different tenor to it, and and the reason is because he's now looking at the Notre Dame program that he's built and saying, you know, we can be a a, a national power on a consistent basis. He knows that in 2012 they weren't a truly national championship yeah. team. They they you know they they that defense was so outstanding that year that they rode that to the national championship game. But what he has built, what the staff has built, the depth which is as we all know is tremendously better than it was. I think he looks at the Notre Dame job today much differently than he did 3 years ago. But the depth, I think this first segment we've talked about nine backups from August. Yeah. Right, CJ Procise, Josh Adams, Nick Watkins, Matthias Farley. We're going down the list. Yeah, I mean that's it. it really, is. The, the program's healthier now. I would I was stunned when I got on that plane and landed two days after the uh, or one day after the national championship came and found out Brian Kelly was interviewing. So I'm not going to be surprised by anything. But I was up there when they were asking him questions about the NFL right at the beginning of the press conference, and he he was just frank. I'm not. It's not a dream. I'm not chasing it. And he still didn't say. And I'm not saying that he was being evasive. He basically said, I like having total control of everything I have control at at Notre Dame, and there aren't many places where you can have that in the NFL. And you not only probably won't get total control, you probably won't get good collaboration with your GM and everybody in the system. And he brought up Pete Carroll having that, being in a great situation in Seattle, and that's why it worked out for Carroll. Yeah, yeah, and he said, like, I don't see that happening for me. <laughs> yeah, like, nobody's yeah. going to make me that offer. And I, you know, to me, the thing about where the college job is better than the pro job is is that total control where you're the head coach and the GM because you run the player acquisition department right. as well. Uh, and how many NFL teams 
could trot out their third string quarterback and essentially make a run to a conference championship game. Nowadays, none. Z- I yeah, mean, yeah. zero. No, Nobody yeah, could do no that. Way. Yeah. And here we are, we're covering Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, and they're running out with a third-string quarterback in Deshaun Kaiser, essentially, if you factor in Golson and Zaire. And they've got Wimbush on top of that. I mean, there most NFL teams don't have a competent starting quarterback. Right. Notre Dame has what I believe to be three really good quarterbacks who could take them to, to double-digit wins. Against a program that won the national title with their third-string quarterback last yeah. season. <laughs> a great point. A great point. Well, that's it for segment one. We'll get into sort of more of our analysis, X's and O's of the Fiesta Bowl next on Irish Illustrated. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. In our final segment of the year, the preview of Notre Dame, Ohio State, and the Fiesta Bowl. There are all sorts of numbers to chew on in this, and if you've read Priester's preview yet, um, 8,000 words? Um, By the time you're listening to this, it may be I think it's twice that. Okay. (laughs) There's There's a lot to chew on here. We spent a lot of time talking about the secondary already in segment one versus Ohio State, Um, but I think Ohio State's red zone offense with JT Barrett as the starting quarterback is probably an interesting place to start. Yeah, that for me, that's the startling number. And if you look at, if you compare offensive uh, red zone efficiency and defensive red zone efficiency over the course of the year, Ohio State has a 10% advantage in both. And we know what Notre Dame's done defensively. I think we feel confident that Notre Dame can convert some uh, some red zone scoring opportunities offensively, but it's the other side of the ball. And since JT Barrett entered the starting lineup in four of the last five games, they've been in the red zone 18 times and scored touchdowns 14 times. And that's what? 77%. 77%. So the numbers, and, and, and I realize that sometimes we overwhelm with numbers, but the numbers stand up, you know, positively and negatively for Notre Dame, especially in the Stanford game. I mean, there's, what reason do we have to believe that that's going to suddenly change? The only difference, the only variable that's different is Jerron Jones potentially playing a significant role. Yeah, and I think he, he will. I think if, if they are going to parse out his snaps at all, you're certainly going to get him in there on first and goal near the 20, or first and 10 to the 25-yard line, second and five. But it, it comes down to the run-pass conflict in that area, and Ohio State, they're, they know who they are now on offense with Barrett. As you said, I think Notre Dame can respond. I could see Kaiser, I could see Kelly, Sanford, Dembrock, and Kaiser, the conglomerate, coming up with a, a red zone plan that works because part of it is execution. I just don't see Notre Dame's defense suddenly rising to the occasion against this offense in the red zone. I think that's Notre Dame's probably biggest problem at this point for me is there's going to be yards gained by Ohio State, and when you gain yards against Notre Dame, you're generally getting touchdowns as a good team. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the flip side of that, I do think will be different than what Ohio State's used to. They've allowed, allowed only 28 red zone penetrations all right. year. I think I think Notre Dame's going to move the ball I, um, yeah. a lot yeah. on Friday. I, I think this will be – the the interesting part to me is at the end of the game we may look at the statue and be like, well, there weren't really a whole lot of yards in there. But I think that if that happens, it's going to be because Notre Dame controlled the pace of the game. And I think that's Notre Dame's blueprint to winning it. Early in the year, early in the, the bull build-up, I felt like – Notre Dame would have to try to win this 42-38. Now I think with where their secondary is and Ohio State sort of coming into their own offensively, it needs to be more of a Music City Bowl type of game plan where you're accommodating your defense with your offensive game plan. I think that's where 
Brian Kelly can do a great job on Friday. And I think that's a good point, and it relates to what what you were saying um, yesterday or whichever day the days are kind of running <laughs> together now. But Notre Dame's offensive line against Ohio State's front without – and make no mistake, the loss of Adolphus Washington is huge for Ohio State. Even if you put Joey Bosa inside, that's that it becomes a much younger defensive line. This is a great challenge for Notre Dame's offensive line. I think they can make some inroads against Ohio State. I think I I have to. I think that's Notre Dame's best chance to win is that offensive line really carrying the day. And I'm not sure I would agree they'd be able to do it against a talented front like this until I saw the Stanford game. And I know Ohio State's got more NFL players up front than Stanford, regardless of injuries. But Notre Notre Dame destroyed Stanford's defensive front in that game. It was 8.5 yards of carry. 299 yards 299 rushing. 299 yards rushing. Most, most of the David Shaw era allowed. Yeah, wow. It was, I mean, they had long gains. They converted third downs. They did a little bit of but everything. But, boy, that's a, that's a small, that's an undersized yeah, yeah. Stanford defensive line. Still, it was, a, it was a pretty good group of linebackers. Right. Ohio State has a really good group of linebackers. Um, you know, they, they don't, but, again, it's, it's not the group of linebackers that we saw Ten years ago, when it was just a bunch of first-round, ten-year NFL players running around, it, they have they have some good players. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I think if you because it's like if you move Bosa inside, well then Notre Dame runs outside. You cave in the edge, and I that's where I think Durham Smythe comes back into play because he is a very adept, capable blocker, but also can slip behind. Well, those if guys you, and if make you a move play. Bosa inside, you now put a freshman defensive end on the field in Sam Hubbard. Brian yeah. Kelly said, I hope they move Bosa inside. He actually said it Did out he loud. Actually, he, really? said, he said, yeah, they should move Bosa inside. That'd be great. <laughs> because but, it's true. But, I mean, you know, he's not he's not going to spend a majority of the time in there. And if you look at um, Urban Meyer listed off all the guys that were candidates inside to play defense for him, and there are a bunch of young guys that have not played much at all. Mm-hmm. Tim, you were you, earlier in the year, I think, I don't know if it was Clemson or Stanford, just like the confidence we have in particular players is sort of an interesting way to approach our expectations for tomorrow. Yeah, especially because of the late scratches in, in some areas. But, you know, you, you want to start out with the obvious. Matthias Farley coming in for Max Redfield. I mean, I, I think he'll play well. I, I think if, no, if Notre Dame's defense struggles or worse, I don't, I don't feel like Matthias Farley is going to be the biggest reason why. Well, I, I would agree with that. And this is a, it's a veteran, smart football player. And that in itself gives you some confidence to have him on the field. The breakdowns will come when, you know, we know he's not the speediest guy back there. And that's, um, you know, that's a concern against this kind of offense and the receivers that they have. I mean, my, my biggest, I think my biggest concern about Ohio State's offense and, you know, we know that Ezekiel Elliott's a beast and, and, and can run all over anybody. Um, he ran all over Michigan, and that's a, that's a great front. But the ability of Barrett to hurt Notre Dame in the running game, I think that sets up the passing game. And that's when if – certainly you don't want Elliott to beat you with the power running, but if Barrett is running – that opens up the passing game, and that's when Notre Dame's secondary is really vulnerable. And I think Farley's best chance is, I do think he'll, because of athletic, athletic limitations, will be a big play against it, but he can make up for it by making a play. He makes savvy plays in games, and I think that's where it can at least be a wash. Now we move on to Nick Watkins, and you're not judging it from drop-off from Butler, or, or, or getting better from Butler, or drop-off from Russell, but just Nick Watkins in this game. I am... Probably overly, comp- maybe I'm overly confident, but I, I think like Nick Watkins is going to play a really, really good game on Friday. Well, then why hasn't he been on the I, field before this yes. game? <laughs> I, I, no, that's fine. Yeah. That's your feeling. Yeah. I, and I understand. He's a, he, 
You know, you look yep. at him, he walked into the, the interview yesterday, mm-hmm. and you're like, yeah, that's a pretty good-looking football yeah. player. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the... Just I like the cut of his jib. Um, I, I think he's going to play really well on Friday. I'm really glad to hear that. One, one area that that you know we rarely talk about the kickers when we evaluate a game. It's more trenches in offense and defense. But you know it should be noted, Justin Yoon. I know there's been a long layoff, so you kind of it's almost like an opener for for a kicker. But Justin Yoon's made his last twelve. He hasn't missed since yeah. week two. Jack Willoughby, the kicker for Ohio State. This is. Really astonishing. He hasn't made a field goal since game number seven against Penn State. He's only attempted four in the last six or seven games. He's since, one for four. Since, yeah, the the first weekend in October, he's attempted yeah. four field goals, which yeah. is crazy. So that could be really significant. I have more confidence in Yoon than I have in Willoughby. How's that? Yeah. <laughs> As part of this going, no, that sounds like a weird Brandon Walker stat you brought out just there from <laughs> yeah. 2008 or something. Yeah. But in keeping with custom, um, with this uh, Joe Schmidt confidence. Not... I, I think this is a really bad matchup for him. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like Stan, it's a, a hyped up Stanford matchup, you know, just where you've got a, a good offensive yeah. line. Maybe maybe not the. It's, I don't think it's probably as good as Stanford's offensive line, but it's a really good offensive line. Uh, and then you've got a much more punishing running back than Christian McCaffrey, who Notre Dame held under 100 yeah. yards. Um, and certainly JT Parrott is a lot more athletic than Kevin Hogan. So I think it's – I don't know how their read option game will work in terms of who they're reading, but they got Jalen Smith's probably going to take one guy and Joe Schmidt's probably going to take the other guy, and that matchup with the other guy is a disadvantage for Notre Dame. My confidence in Joe Schmidt is pretty high because he's Joe Schmidt and it's yeah. his last game. You know he's going to be motivated and he's going to leave it all out on the field. My confidence wanes. It waned when I was watching uh, extensively the the Michigan-Ohio State game when I saw Pat Elfline, their right guard, get to the second level and just annihilate Michigan's linebackers. And we know that that's Joe Schmidt's weakness is being able to get off. It's a weakness for any linebacker when a 310-pound guard gets on you in the second level. But Joe's a little bit more undersized. And I think that's a huge concern. Two things on that. Jalen Smith yesterday when I talked to him about stopping the one-two punch of Barrett and Elliott, he said this is a game where they have the extra hat because of Barrett. Every, you have to get off your block. You're going to get blocked. You have to get off it to make the play. And that speaks to what you said. Yeah, yeah. But the Joe Schmidt stat that we've been bringing out and, and Notre Dame started bringing out after you brought it up, they're 17-3 when Schmidt starts, but it's key. It's 17-3, and I'd rather say it this way, when Schmidt and Smith are in there together, inside they're 17-3 and with... Three losses to number two Florida State by four on a callback touchdown. Mm-hmm. To number one Clemson by two, and to Stanford on the last play of the game. So they have always come to play when those two are together. Is the best way of, I can put so it. So you're saying that Jalen Smith makes Joe Schmidt a better linebacker? <laughs> yeah, could have been saying the other thing for a while. Yeah. No, I'm just not going to. Uh... Yeah, the defense played it played well in all three of those games for the most part. Right, they didn't as to be expected. Yeah. What they did, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they they put in serviceable work. Another thing I want to tackle, we spend so much time analyzing every single matchup, almost, but like an X factor that if Notre Dame wins, this guy will play well. And I'm not I'm not talking about Jalen Smith or Joe Schmidt yeah. or Deshaun Kaiser or Josh Adams or, or Will Fuller, obviously. Somebody really off the radar that, that you think maybe has a chance to flip this for Notre Dame. We're going really off the radar, and I'm not saying a whole game because he's not going to be featured in a whole game. I think this is where Corey Robinson could score again. We've been talking about this. He is still a guy that can make a play in the red zone, mm-hmm. and I think you need a guy to make a play in the red zone because you're not just going to 
confuse Ohio State's veteran big game secondary with scheme and great play. He's going to have to make a play. Someone's got to make a play. You're good. They're going to have attention on Fuller when you're down there. I think Robinson can make one play. And to go off the radar, just a guy that I think is better than he's played this year on the other side of the ball, I think Cole Luke could have a good game. I know they're going to go at Watkins, mm-hmm. but all you need to have a good game against a running team as Cole Luke is tackle well and make one big play back there because you're not stopping Ohio State in this game, but you can make a play against them. The reason I won't pick Corey Robinson is because of the size that Ohio State has in the secondary, and I think that will negate Corey Robinson's size. It leads me to more, and this is an off-the-radar, Chris Brown's a starter and number two receiver, but I think Chris Brown's a guy that could come through in the red zone. He hasn't done it a ton, but he has done it a few times this year. Or a Torrey Hunter. You have another receiver Yeah, in I feel like I'm very curious to see how Notre Dame spent this last month with C.J. Sanders because I think his skill set is unique to the entire roster. They don't have another player like him. You know, as, as much as Amir Carlisle and Torrey Hunter have, have shown flashes here or there, I think C.J. Sanders has another gear and another sort of east-west movement to him that could be a real factor against Ohio State. You know, one thing that we haven't written about or really talked about, C.J. Sanders' dad played at Ohio State. That's right, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's an interesting dynamic there, too. I think we're going to see at least one jet sweep from C.J. Sanders that catches Ohio State flat-footed and is a big play. And if that hits, if that is like C.J. Prosize against LSU last year, then Notre Dame is really in business for me. And I, I think that's that's where Notre Dame could sort of surprise Ohio State a little bit. And for first-time listeners, this is not the podcast where you bring up Alizé Jones for every game no. review either. So no, definitely not. Right there. All right, well, before we wrap up our podcast picks... Who wins on Friday? Tim O'Malley, you're up first. You know, I think there's, I just think there's one too many holes in the dam right now. I think, I think Priester made a good point before Stanford that Kavari Russell was probably the tipping point. He might have been. There was some tipping point in that game defensively. I think over the long haul, there's been, I think there's too many holes back there. I don't think they have enough team speed. I think Notre Dame's going to play very well. I have a lot of confidence in Brian Kelly over the last couple of years as a big game coach. Urban Meyer is perhaps the best big game coach there is. He's 9-2 and two in major bowls, and Pete brought up something we probably should have known, but it sounds made up and fake that he's 49-4 and four at Ohio State. So I think Notre Dame will play well and lose a game in the 38-31 range. Um, talking to Joe Schmidt, he said the goal for them, this is interesting, he said the goal for them is to play their best game no matter what. Their goal, he wasn't talking about winning. He said, I want to play... We owe it to ourselves to play our best game, uh, to send one, Team 127 out. And one of the TV reporters asked him, does that mean you're okay with a loss? It's like, no, I just don't talk about guaranteeing wins, but our goal is to play our best game. I think they will, and it'll come up short. Well, if 49-4 and four sounds outrageous, for me, it's <laughs> Urban Meyer's 153-27 and 27 record, which is a .85 winning percentage, which is third behind... Newt Rockney and Frank Leahy. <laughs> that's just, that's just not so that, sc- that, that, that scares me a little bit. But, look, Notre Dame has to change the red zone, and I'm hoping Jerron Jones is the guy that can make a significant contribution there. Yeah, my pick, I'm, I'm going Notre Dame. I've, I got Notre Dame 29-27, a little bit lower scoring yeah. than Tim, and I think that that's a scoring margin that works for Notre Dame. I, agree I think that. if both teams are in the 30, Notre Dame, Notre Dame is in trouble. Um, I, I like – Brian Kelly as a big game coach, as Tim mentioned as well. Um, you know, he hasn't always won those games, but he's come up with some really nice game plans when he's had some time to work at it. Obviously, Urban Meyer is Urban Meyer is one of the best in the business, but hey, 
Brian Kelly is the active leader in, in wins right. Uh, Man, right right now. The which, coaching gears are going to be turning in this game. Yeah, These I, are I mean there's there's oh, one yeah. uh, one really outstanding coach and one really really good coach going head to head here. And it's fascinating. I mean, can you imagine when they have when they have a month to prepare, it's there's a, a lot going yeah, on there. It's yeah. a, it is not only a top ten game; it's a top ten coaching matchup. I mean, yeah. these are two of the ten best coaches in college no football. Doubt. And today. people might not care, but when I just change gears here, but it, it's this game and D'Antonio and Saban. I mean, we're some. There's two matchups in 24 hours here that are remarkable yeah, for that's really for good. modern coaches. So what, what, what's your prediction? 38-31 Ohio State. Yeah, I'm going 29-27 Notre Dame. And I've got 37-27 Ohio State. And there's a pretty good split on our staff picks coming up on the website today. Uh, four to three, we'll let you see who uh, who the staff favors there. And also, Jake Brown and Pete Sampson going head-to-head with their 12-0 and picking records. Something's got to give because they're on opposite sides. Yeah, nailed every game this season, so we'll see if I'm right one more time. So that's it for our last Irish Illustrated Insider podcast of the season. We will talk to you next week from back in South Bend. And, of course, we'll have incident analysis pre-game and post-game Friday from the Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame, Ohio State kickoff, about 24 hours away.